The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Today's message is taken from Hebrews, the ninth chapter. Elder Tim McCool takes us back to the temple in Jerusalem and describes the layout of the showbread and the candlestick. God ordered certain items to be placed in that temple, and he did so for a reason. Some may think that the layout of the temple is irrelevant to us today, but Brother Tim clearly shows us the symbolism of the candlestick and the showbread and how it relates to the life that we're living today. In this first half of the message, He talks about the candlestick. Tomorrow, we will hear more about the showbread. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
since Brother Chris asked me to come and speak, I, I found myself uh, back in the temple of God. And so if you'll go with me to Hebrews the ninth chapter for a little while tonight, let's look at Hebrews the ninth chapter and we'll read in first and second verse as we consider two things, the candlestick and the showbread. Then verily the first covenant, that's the Old Testament, Hebrews 9 and 1, the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. In a previous message, I've read a great deal more here to explain what was going on and see clearly, but I'll just tell you, basically what you have here is a picture of the sanctuary. And even though we often say it was really complicated in the Old Testament on how they worshiped, there were some very simple things. Now, very complicated to keep up with the feasts and keep up with how many lambs had to be sacrificed. That's, there's a lot of complication there. Most of that fell on the Levites. But when it came to the actual construct or what was in the sanctuary, it was fairly simple. So I'm going to use some geographical directions, and I'm not very good at it, so I'm going to hope I get it right. But if, if I'm not mistaken here, this is north, and this is south, and this would be east, and this would be west. So when you went into the sanctuary, the priests, remember, everybody didn't get to go into the sanctuary, just the priests. And the high priest was the only one that got to go in the Holy of Holies. So in one sense, we as worshipers of God, or if you were a Jewish person, you would really be shut out from the inside of what was going on. But you could be told about it and hear about it through the law. So when you entered the sanctuary, you entered, uh, you entered from, um, from east to west. You came in from the east and went to the west. And as you went into the sanctuary, there was a curtain there that separated the outer part of the sanctuary from the inner part, what was called, as we see there in Hebrews 9, if you want to read on, it's the Holy of Holies, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was which had the table, uh, the, uh, the two uh, stone tables of Moses' law and so forth, the Aaron's rod and, and some other things that were in there. So as you went in, though, this outer area, which where most of the priests could go, to the north, which would be to my right, to the north was the table of the showbread. And to the south would be what was called uh, the candlestick, or we might say the candelabra. Okay. So I want you to have that in your mind, just for kind of a three-dimensional view of the directions, because they're important, they're significant. There was a reason why God sent the priests in from the east to the west, and there's a reason why the showbread was on the north and the candlestick was on the south. And I hope you'll see the significance of that. There is a, Jewish, uh, a Scottish scholar on Jewish history, and he actually was a Jew, and he converted to Christianity. His name, he's from Scotland. He's long past, in, in years past. His name was Alfred Edersheim. And there's a quote in one of his histories, some really interesting reading about the history of worship and the histories of the Jews and all of that. But he says, without religion, the Israelite has no history. And without history, the Israelite has no religion. Because if you think about how the history of the Israelites was tied to their worship. The very reason that they, were, that they became a nation was because God took them out of bondage in Egypt, took them out into the desert, and gave them this system of worship. So if you were a Jew or an Israelite, you could not look back and disregard history. 
It was staring you in the face at all times. This is a total side note, but it's worth mentioning in today's woke culture and the, and the rewriting of history. That is an attempt of Satan behind it to try to make us think, well, you know, there's something bad about Christianity. America would not be here without Christian influence. What the woke culture does not understand is they discount completely because it's godless. They discount completely the providence of God in, in the world of men and women where God can intervene and use broken vessels and overcome their sin. It's a total, you could not be a Jew and look back and disdain your history. You cannot be a Christian in America and look back and disdain your history. Because you're here because Christianity is the reason that we are in this part of the world. <laughs> but the woke culture wants to ignore the providence of God in the lives of broken sinners. And I also think it's ironic and, and almost, it's not funny, it's too sad to be funny. But the level of depravity and immorality that we have today for someone in this culture to say, well, they were immoral. <laughs> It's just almost funny, and it totally disregards our Lord. So back to the ranch, as they say. The Jewish culture, you, you, they had no history without God. They had no history without their religion. They had no religion without their history. So it was thick in the lives of the Jewish culture. So let us gaze for just a few moments at what we see before us in the temple, in the sanctuary. Very simple. As you went in, as I said, to the north was the showbread. To the south was the candlestick. And remember that all of these things are facing the curtain that divides the sanctuary from the Holy of Holies. Now there's some, there's some belief that the curtain was maybe a foot thick or it was very thick because it was layered upon layer upon layer. It, I don't know if you ladies have curtains at home. Some of you do. And they're usually kind of thin. But this curtain in the Holy of Holies would have been very thick and very difficult to rip. Which is important because our Lord rips that curtain when he gave up his life on the cross. Indicating some very important things. So to the north is the table of the showbread. And it's ever facing the, the bread that is laid on that table, which we'll speak about in just a moment, is ever facing the Holy of Holies ever facing the curtain that divides you from being able to see into the Holy of Holies where the high priest goes. And then on the south is that candlestick or lampstand or candelabra. Now, try to give you an image of this. When I was, I don't know, mom could probably tell me the exact age, but I had to be six or seven or eight. I can't remember. But one of the most vivid memories of my life was being a lamplighter in my uncle's wedding. <laughs> and I think Brother Chris was one on the other side. I took that so seriously. I had to wear a little tux. And they, this, at this church that we were at, which was over in Tuscaloosa, they had this candelabra up there on the left and the right side. I mean, it was, looked like 30 candles and 30 candles over here. And I'm just a little fella. I was really took that. I was the lamplighter. <laughs> and they showed me how to carry that. It was a long stem lamp that had a wick coming out of it. You go down there and you light every one of them. And I'm just trembling, shaking, you know. And then they also let us go down there and put them out. You turned it upside down and it had a little thing to, to put them out, extinguish it. That stuck with me. I thought I'm a really important person. I'm the lamplighter. <laughs> that, that just stuck with me. If you think about a wedding or something like that with a big candelabra up there, it's not like a chandelier, but like a candelabra. That's what you've got right here. And if, in Exodus, the 25th chapter, if you want to turn there, where the, the table of the showbread and the candelabra are brought together. 
where the Lord tells Moses how to make it. And you say, well, can the Lord really be this specific? Absolutely, He is this specific. And you pray for me that we can come away from this with a blessing, not just be some dry uh, message on what they had in the temple, because I think it relates to us today in a mighty way. So in the Old Testament, Exodus 25 and 30, it says, after he describes how to make the showbread table, he says, Thou shalt set up on the table showbread before me always. That's to the north is the table of the showbread. And then he says, Thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Listen to the language. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. Very ornate, very beautiful. You say, how can we know what this looks like? We do know what this looks like, and I'll explain to you one of the ways that we know. And six branches shall come out of the sides, three to the one side of the candlestick, three branches to the other side, and one in the middle. And in the book of Exodus, if you look up the definition of this word for the candlestick, it is the, the, the Hebrew word menorah. I had heard that word before from time to time in different circles or read it, and I didn't really know what it was, but menorah is the same word for the lampstand or the candlestick. It literally means a frame for a lamp. If you think about it, a lamp has no inherent lighting power of itself. It has to have a fire or a lamp or a light put to it. It just holds the light. And if you want to know, do we know anything about what it actually looks like, there is some evidence of exactly what it looked like when General Titus in AD 70 wiped out Jerusalem, and he eventually becomes the emperor back in Rome. But when Titus wiped out Jerusalem in AD 70, uh, when, the, when the generals would come back, they would generally build something for them, like an arch. And there is an arch known as Titus's Arch. And in Titus's Arch, there's a remake of that, of the original one. I think it's in a museum in New York somewhere. And there's a menorah on that. And it, and it is showing his triumphal re-entry into Rome from the destruction of Jerusalem. And you can see a menorah, a picture of this right here with, with seven uh, candlesticks on it. See, we do have some idea of what it looks like, and it's like a candelabra that you may be familiar with from a wedding. Now, I want you to notice what he says about the candelabra. The instructions there, it says it's to be made of pure gold. Do you know how you get pure gold? It has to be put in the fire. Pure gold has to have the dross burn out of it by being put in the fire. I've seen some movies and stuff where you have blacksmiths in those movies, or even I've seen some of, the, some of my favorites are like the, the Hobbit trilogy or the Lord of the Rings, and you've seen some forging of some, if you've seen that, you've seen them, at least a mock-up of the forging of some things. And I've even been to blacksmith shop and fascinated by watching how they take that and, and they purify the metal. And that's how you get pure gold, is you have to burn it. You have to put it in a very hot substance. I tell you, the menorah, the candlestick, is a picture of two things. It is a picture of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he was purified, if you will, although he had no impurities. But he was put in the fire. But it's also a picture of the church of God. And I tell you, the church of God has been purified by fire through the years. We have no idea about the things that many of those in years past have gone through in the form of persecution. We have it made, as they say. We've never experienced that type of thing. I pray to the good Lord that we never do. As a matter of fact, one of the last, evident, uh, one of the last examples of, of physical persecution in America was a Baptist preacher who was whipped, and whipped so badly that he could not lay on his back for a month. That happened on American soil. 
That's the last, that's about three or 350, 400 years ago. It's the last evidence of fire being put to, real fire like physical fire being put to the church of God. And we would be, have to have our head in the sand not to see what our Lord went through. He was put through the fires of men. He was put through the fires of the Romans, the fires of, of Herod, and the fires of his own countrymen. But the worst fire that he was put through was the purifying fire that purified him from the, in the wrath of God when God poured out his wrath upon him to pay for your sins and for my sins. But the church of God, which is what the lampstand is a symbol of, it is purified by the flames of persecution. I think one of the reasons that preachers have been preaching about this a little bit more lately is because that's coming. Do not be surprised when it comes. I'm not saying it's going to be fun. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be something, oh, yippee, we can't wait till that happens. No, but it's going to happen. The Lord has promised that it's going to happen before the Lord comes back. But that is, it just points to the fact that it is the Lord's. When the church is purified by fire, you can see clearly that it is the Lord's. And it also says that it is a beaten work. Have you ever been to a blacksmith shop and the, the blacksmith that knows what he's doing, he can take that, whatever that item is that's heated up and red hot and he hits it with that hammer and he flips it and he hits it. It's fascinating. Fascinating to see. But stick your hand under there. What's going to happen? <laughs> it's going to hurt. So what's going on there is a very violent thing. When this lampstand is being shaped from the pure gold that was in the fire. It is a violent thing that's taking place. It's being beaten to make it look beautiful. And once again, we see that the church of God is made beautiful at the hands of being beaten and kicked around and tossed around and laughed at and scoffed at by the world. How do you think you got here from 2,000 years ago? Men and women and children laid their lives down and were beaten for the name of Christ. And we have what we have today. And we just can't help. It's our nature to take it for granted. I do too. <laughs> I talk with Brother Buddy about that on a regular basis. He always reminds me, as we should be reminded, it's not always been like this. When you take a place like Bethlehem that had eight people 20 years ago, it's not always been like it is today. As a matter of fact, it's been the other way through more years than not. You see? But it's a beaten church. It's something that continues to be hammered and hammered at the whims of men. And here's what you get. After it's purified and after it's beaten, you have this beautiful, golden, pure gold menorah. And it's still not all that it can be, right? It's got to have the candlelight put to it. And we know without a doubt that the light of the world is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The lampstand is merely that which holds the light. Christ is the light. But don't forget, you're light too, because Jesus said, you are the salt of the, the earth and the light of the world. How are you the light of the world? I thought Jesus was. You're the light of the world through Jesus being the light of the world. Amen. So after the pure gold candlestick is put together and it's been beaten into the shape that God wanted it to be beaten, this beautiful construct there, just incredible look, and it's lit up with the light, guess what? It shines its light on the curtain that withholds the Holy of Holies. And it shines its light on the showbread. So the lampstand today, you said there's really no significance to the history of the Jewish culture or religion for us, is it? Absolutely it is. By the way, 
the, Jew, the, uh, the Israelite had no history without religion and no religion without history. And you are the spiritual Israelite today. And you have no history without the religion that has been passed down from even Egypt when God brought them out. Because all of the symbolism and all the things in that worship economy and all of that, the way that they did things, it carries down to us today. From uh, the Passover that they would take to the Lord's Supper that we take today. You are the lampstand of God to shine upon the showbread. And of course you could go to places like Revelation 1 and see where Jesus himself presents that picture like a pageant to John and what does he show? He shows a picture of churches represented by lampstands. <laughs> so I'm not crazy. I'm not really, I'm not off here on this. I'm taking it from the word of God that the lampstand is the church of God. So it shines forth the holy, to the holy of holies. Look at Hebrews 10. I heard this preached recently in a sermon and it blessed my heart. And I think I knew this, but it just hearing it preached just made it even more special. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Look at what he says here. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest, that's the holy of holies, that's what is behind the curtain, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh. You see the veil of the temple in there was symbolic of the flesh of God that was ripped you see, to give us access to the Holy of Holies, which is where the commandments of God were, which sat underneath the mercy seat with those cherubims and their wings and their, their faces pointed down and their cherubims covering over the mercy seat. And in heaven, those cherubim cry out, holy, 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 you see. So when I read this right here, I thought, you know, I understand this, but it's just amazing to hear it preached again. He says that we now have access to the Holy of Holies. You say, well, if we could go there, we would. Children of God, you are in the Holy of Holies. The church of God is the Holy of Holies. It's where we go and we shine the light. We hold up the light of Christ and we shine forth that He has ripped the veil, which was His flesh, and He has given us access to the Holy of Holies. We don't live under the law. We don't live under the commandments. We should follow the commandments and serve God, but we are not judged by those commandments because He was judged by those commandments. He suffered the wrath that we should have suffered for not being able to keep those commandments. And we can come into the Holy of Holies and just look around and ooh and ah at the work of our Lord. <laughs> Listen, the church shines the truth of God from the Holy of Holies. It is the Holy of Holies. Now I want you to think about that direction now. You go from the east to the west, to the north is the showbread, to the south <clears throat> is the candlestick. And inside that Holy of Holies, as you turn... You're looking back to the east, right? You're looking back to the east after the Holy of Holies has been opened. You ever wonder why these graves out here face the east? You ever wonder why most Christians, when they bury their dead, they face them towards the east? There's a reason for that. The lamp shines upon the Holy of Holies. Do you know that lamp was supposed to be kept burning 24 hours a day? It was the responsibility of the priest. One group of priests had the responsibility to keep that lamp lit. Over in 1 Samuel, the third chapter and the third verse, we read some very significant language in the days when Samuel was just a little boy. And Eli was the old priest who was in charge of everything. And I have to tell you, he was doing a pitiful job. He wouldn't teach his, kid, his sons. 
He wouldn't instruct them. He wouldn't discipline them. He, he just was handling it in a terrible way. And it, there's some language there in 1 Samuel 3 and 3 where it says, Ere the lamp of God went out in the temple. You see, he was doing such a bad job as the priest that he allowed the lamp of God to go out in the temple. I tell you, there have been times in history whenever the lamp of God, the church of God, has shone very dimly. I have to say that I feel like personally that in this day and time that we're not all of us. I don't just mean you, but I mean me. I mean us in general. We're not doing a very good job of shining forth the lamp of God. You know, we shine forth a lot of things and a lot of things that we love. And some of them are not necessarily sinful. But we are passionate about this or passionate about that. And I tell you, we must be passionate about the lamp of God, the church of God. You are that lamp. Christ is the light, and we need the light, and we need to keep pushing back against the darkness because the darkness grows more and more. The light is not going to come from Washington, D.C. The light is not going to come from Montgomery, Alabama. The light is not going to come from the capitals and the halls of this world. The light is always come from God himself manifesting himself through, in the last 2,000 years, through the church of God. And all those nations and all those Countries have fallen at the feet of the kingdom of God. And it's just a little old lamp that just shines through the ages. How are you manifesting that light? I don't know about you, but I struggle with it. Due to the constraints of time, we will stop the message here. But please join us tomorrow for the conclusion of this message. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's Z-I-O-N-P-B-C-1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J. C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.